0: You book with us, then I can tell you that you're not going to see anybody for maybe a half mile at most. In this time of year, you're going to you're gonna be lucky to see anybody. So I think the options give us the ability to find more lo- more remote locations. And that being said, too, it's it's really nice to get photos with <laughs> somebody else in the picture. You know, uh, we have some great scenery and some great fish. Um, that, uh, will fight like you know what and will, uh, make anybody happy. I don't care what kind of angler you are and, you know, how used to big fish you are. Catching 24 fish in a matter of 12 hours of fishing, um, especially when they're any, you know, all of them are over six pounds, uh, you can't get much better than that, to be honest. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate.
1: The flycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine. The convenience of having flies delivered right to your door. Some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. TheFlyCrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley welcome to this edition of the fly fishing 97 podcast today we've got on the program colton or baker now colton is out of twig and timber outdoors in jamestown new york media creator photographer guide and daytime teacher colton thanks for coming on the program today
0: i thoroughly appreciate the invite
1: yeah so you and i've just been chatting a little bit um before we got going here getting to know each other and um I got a lot of questions for you man. I've been watching your stuff on YouTube and and trying to keep up on Instagram, but I always like to kind of kick things off getting back to your fly fishing roots. So how did how did you get involved in in the sport of fly fishing?
0: I don't want to sound obviously too cliché, but um you know, I uh everybody always has a mentor and uh kind of my mentor early on was um, I mean, my grandfather, who was, who used to, uh, he lived, grew up in the Catskills, um, and uh, would uh, he, his for, the first fly rod I actually got was um, a nine-foot salmon bamboo rod that he gave me, um, that I started just kind of winging around in the backyard. But uh, no, it's uh, not fortunate enough to be able to fish with him anymore, obviously. But um, so most of what I've been doing is actually self-taught, along with obviously reading as many books as possible and doing some uh, self-research, but most of the stuff that I that I do, I learn by myself on the stream. Um, I feel like that's kind of going by the wayside, but I wish I had a, a more consistent mentor, but, um, you know, my fly fishing roots kind of started from just a little spark of interest and then bloomed because of a crazed uh, curiosity, I guess, if that makes sense.
1: That totally makes sense to me. <clears throat> the thing i'm i'm curious do you have any any current fishing buddies or anybody that you kind of spend time with on the water now that kind of influences you day to day
0: you know it's it's funny because um most of my fishing buddies now are uh, people i've met through the industry so uh you know i i fish fairly regularly with people but if it's not a client um you know i have people come in buddies that uh either are the owners or heads of a company that needs some uh, media created and kind of want to get a taste for what I do or that I've known for a long time that just kind of come by. But there are a couple younger kids. When I say younger kids, I mean, you know, young 20s and uh, late teens that either I've met through family, friends, or whomever. But, you know, I take them out and get them their first couple of fish. And then the way I like to look at it is if I can get them knowing enough to get them catching fish and having a good time. I'm such a firm believer in uh, getting that stream time and and learning that way, Uh, figuring out problems by yourself and uh, troubleshooting things that you hear about and then learn on stream. That's kind of, I release them, let them spread their own wings. (laughs) But fishing buddies, it's kind of limited to my time now because I have a couple little ones and uh, I don't get out as frequently as I'd like to unless unless, quite frankly, I'm with a client.
1: Totally get that. So, so Colton, if if you were in, obviously you're in uh, Western New York, so you're you're targeting Browns, Brookies, Steelies, Bass. If if you had your fish, your day, kind of, what's your what's your favorite species to target?
0: Man, um, my favorite. See, I have a. I'll break it into two. I have, I have a dream species, and I have a. Uh, sorry, I have a. I have a dream, or not a dream, I guess. I have a species that's the, I, I live in a great musky lake. And so, um, but I don't get out for them very often. So this year with my 12 weight, I'm going to get out there for musky. But if I'd say a favorite, I'm actually fortunate enough to where my wife, uh, is her family lives on a stream that was accidentally stocked in the sixties with browns mm. and there's wild reoccurring browns in that stream now. And the stream is no wider than five foot. But I get, uh, you know, I've caught a 20-inch fish out of there, a 19-inch fish, and a 17-inch fish in the last couple of years. So it's almost, it reminds me very much so of like a a small meadow stream out west that can just contain fatties. So that's kind of my favorite fishing because I also have to fish such small water. It's fairly technical and uh, challenging. But, man, I I can't, you know, knock the fact that I'm, I can fish for steelhead from September to April, and then chase great trout the rest of the time too. Hiking through the woods, you know.
1: I guess trout season's coming up for you pretty quick here, isn't it?
0: Yeah, but I'm I'm fortunate enough to where our uh, you know tributary seasons for the for Lake Erie and for the Great Lakes, you can pretty pretty much fly fish all year round for great great game fish.
1: Right. I'm curious how you started. I know you, you got all these media creations going on how, how did you get started with twig and timber outdoors tell us a little bit about that uh, story
0: that's a pretty good question I uh, I feel like I've worked every type of job in every type of industry with the exception of manufacturing and one of my many roles was uh, an archery technician um, in a bow shop and because I love I love to um, and so it actually began by I would answer a question for somebody in the store at work, I would come home, i shoot a quick video kind of going into more detail about that. And then the next day when I'd come back in and someone had a similar question, I would just point them in the direction of that channel And because it actually started off as an archery channel. And I really didn't find the, the niche of fly fishing finding any success in the content until I started really looking at the media that was surrounding fly fishing and how beautiful most of it was. Now I create so much content. Um, not all of it goes on the channel. The channel is somewhat of a, I don't say a leftover bin, but you know, whenever the, my clients, it's from a commercial standpoint, um, allow me to, I use some of the, the media I create for them on the channel. But for the most part, the way that the creation works is that, I create something for them. They have the rights to it. I sign those over, and unless they gift those, the ability for me to put on the channel, I kind of use the extra content I film around it or that surrounds it, and I create something from that. Now, there are some more, you know, there are works on there that I do out of my own love of filmmaking and photography, but, you know, it's, it's more so along the, the lines of, you know, this is kind of my everyday and it just happens to revolve around fishing when I'm not in the classroom.
1: That's pretty cool. Cause, uh, and you know what? It, obviously, you love teaching. You do that daytime. But uh, tell me about your passion for creating media content. Like, I'm always curious about that, how people kind of get pull, pulled into that and, and, and where that creativity comes from. Can you speak to that?
0: You, I, you know, I can. It, it's really interesting, I think. There are a couple different sides to the story with that. Most people who, at least from what I, what I feel, um, there, there are two parts to, to a good media creator. I'm not saying I'm a good media creator, but um, what, I, what I think is that there's a part of every good artist, if you will, that does it because they enjoy seeing their thoughts on some form of canvas. And now in the digital age, my canvas is through a camera. There's also a part of every, what I believe, good artist that is also someone who it wants to show off something that they do or that they like or that they think is cool. There has to be some form of self, you know, some form of pride in the act, or else you you end up quitting or you do not create what you feel. Or you sell out, hypothetically. And and there's nothing wrong with that But because, I mean, there have been a handful of times where I've had to do things to pay the bills, if you will, as far as creating media. But, you know, so I think that part of me really enjoys, really enjoys showing off my passion in an artistic way, you know, professionally. But, because, I mean, I, I create content for other companies, you know, instructional or even just short films and things for them to advertise products. But, you know, there's also a side of me that, really wants to just show off what I think is cool and take pride in mm-hmm. that. So I think getting into the media creation po- portion of it, it's, it's not that it just fell in my lap. The channel started 2009, no, I'm sorry, 2000 and, boy, I should have that number, 12 maybe? Um, okay. But not in the form that it is now the fishing aspect of it where that was the primary focus really kind of only started maybe 2016 and we're up to, I believe 8,500 as of March, 2019 8,500 subscribers. And it continues to grow every day and the views are well over a couple million views. And it's uh I'm very fortunate, but again, it definitely isn't my day job. Um, it just helps me get, our family said and make sure the lights down.
1: Well, hey, you and I were going to chat a little earlier, but let's face it, life gets in the way, and I know we're we're talking a little <laughs> quiet right now because I have a feeling somebody's trying to sleep. Is that correct? <laughs> it's not accurate?
0: <laughs> How'd you guess? And you can definitely tell I that in some of my videos. Some of my videos, it sounds like I'm super whispering, but...
1: <laughs> well, I just watched one of your rant videos about uh, somebody throwing rocks in front of you while you're fishing, and, and let's put it this way, you're a little quieter tonight. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I I, uh, it's funny because I spend all day as a teacher trying to teach kids how to be better human beings and better citizens and world citizens. And um, to have somebody kind of prove to me why we need to do that on the stream, uh, I had to share that. I don't do that very often, but I had to share it.
1: What, what I'm talking about is I just went through, I went through a bunch of YouTube videos and there's a lot and I can really see the passion when you're sitting there at the tying bench and I'm like, man, this guy's, this guy's dialed in, he's really feeling it. And then, and the one I'm speaking of in particular, you're kind of driving, I don't know if you're driving home, but you're driving down the road. It sounds like you had it maybe a, a guy out, you're doing some guiding and maybe some kids or some, some people started throwing rocks in front of you or something in the water when you're trying to guide somebody. Is that kind of what happened? That's kind of the feeling I got
0: yeah the uh the the problem is, is that um there's no secrets anymore and i i catch a lot of flack actually believe it or not for posting content um on certain streams because people feel that i'm giving away locations but most of this is all public information anyway um and also you know i'm i'm all for everyone finding success but yeah basically what had happened was you know i i had a i had a couple of young kids actually i was guiding and um I we we were just had hooked up hooked them up on their first fish on the fly, and their first fish, um, one of them ever, and so they were all excited. They were jazzed up, and then we move, you know, stirring up that that part of the stream, that little mini beat. We ended up going to another part where I knew big fish were, and you know, a couple of uh interesting uh, folks had brought their children to go play there, and. Uh, it's just the same story. I mean, this happens frequently and they were throwing rocks and, and being super loud and um, causing such a commotion that uh, kind of, it almost put the whole day into a, in, you know a damper on the whole day. So it was, uh, I get, I get fired up, not because I'm angry because this is my spot or anything like that. I was just, I get upset whenever it ruins the time uh, that someone has paid their hard earned money to, to go and take an adventure during, you know, that's kind of, it fires me up in that regard.
1: Oh, I totally get it. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, only because (laughs) I could tell, I could tell it was, (laughs) I do. When I hear something genuine, it's from the heart. It's like, you know what? It's all about being considerate of other people. Let's put it that way. If somebody else wants to enjoy the water, but if you're sitting there casting on a small stream or tributary and, and all of a sudden three dogs and, and three people come down and start swimming in front of you, it's like, mm, okay, (laughs) I've had it happen. Trust me. Yeah. But, uh,
0: it's all, you know, it's one of those stream etiquette things where some people just missed that class, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I get it. It's all good. Um, so I'm curious, so if you're doing some fly fishing in Western New York, kind of say you're out on the, on the river tomorrow, what kind of go-to patterns are you using in your area?
0: Our area varies so drastically. So right now it's, uh, to give some perspective, it's March, uh. What 17th? It's St. Patrick's Day yep. when we're filming, when we're recording this. <laughs> and um, if I were to go out tomorrow, <laughs> yep. And uh, you know, we just got a really uh, a really large dump of rain because um, we're in New York. The weather changes on a, on a whim. We got lots of rain last night, so we'll, we'll take that out of the, con- the consideration. You know, so uh, on a normal day, normal temperatures tomorrow. I'm throwing the combination of. Some proprietary patterns. I have um, what I call a sexy chid, which is just a uh, beefed up, larger coronamid pattern that has an orange bead. It has some um, uh, a flash tail. has a flash wing casing. It has um, a uh, bi- uh, white it uh, wings, and it has and it, the thorax is um, is a peacock curl. That's on a two x scud hook, um, and that alongside we're your own in things uh, with um, what I, it's like a sexy uh, leech, which is uh, I like to use polar chenille uh, and just with a, with a, a purple polar chenille, orange head and um, a pink, butt. I know that sounds super specific, mm-hmm. but I know for a fact that this coming weekend I've tied two dozen of each for clients that I have on the 23rd. So <laughs> those are primary patterns. And then your normal patterns, like, some variations of egg patterns, You have some variations of. Uh, we're getting some um, early stone flies, and we're getting some. You can oh, you can't go wrong ever with um, some uh, some white buggers with some uh, just different hackle patterns running through neither. So mm. it's um a lot of guys will will you know when they go to fish the Great Lakes what the, what'll end up happening is they'll type in best steelhead flies, and you'll get a lot of different uh, patterns that will be great for the Pacific Northwest. They're very, it's very different around here. The water is very different. We, uh, we don't do a lot of swinging, um, where we are. We do a lot of euro minting. So we're using 10, foot, six weight, seven weight. Um, and sometimes depending on the hole, I'll, I'll end up bringing in a, a nine weight too because we, you know, if, if the way that our rock structure works here, we have to really, uh, we have to lay the lay the wood to some of these fish to get them out of uh, these deeper pockets. Otherwise, they'll, they'll they'll cut us off. Right. So, it's a very unique fishery that you can get be extremely efficient in um, if you know what you're doing.
1: Well, some of your some of your videos on YouTube, I was watching, and um, I could definitely tell the type of nymphing that you're doing, and and it's fairly familiar to me from from some of the creeks and and rivers that I'm used to. Here's a weird question for you. So obviously, as a teacher, you're working at least ten months solid a year. What made you get into guiding? Like, did you just say, "I really don't want any spare time or
0: I, I, <laughs> I'm really curious
1: how that went down. You know
0: what it was to be to be honest with you, it was um i, I like I like instruction I, rather, I like instructing I think that coupled with the fact that, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to film solo or they've ever tried to take a photo of a fish after you've caught it in a in an attractive way. It's very difficult to uh, to do so um, unless you try and do the hero shot by holding the fish or, or beaching the fish, which I never like to do, um, unless the person's going to keep that fish. But I rarely do that, too. We're fairly catch and release uh, um, heavy. What I, what I will say is that I got into guiding because um, I thought it would be really cool to help new people get on fish, so I'm very selective on who I I uh, take on. Usually I am looking for newer anglers or people who find the idea of fly fishing to be something absurd or strange or different, um, and then also people who are, are willing to let me take many photos and, and film because it does allow me to get some like some more content, mm-hmm. to be 100% honest. Um, you know, and a lot of those people, they actually find that to be kind of a cool novelty souvenir is to have something uh, recorded, photographed, and, uh, you know, out for people to see that, hey, this was my experience, and it kind of works for both of us. You know, it's a, it's a mutually beneficial type of negotiation, I guess. But, uh, yeah, guiding was kind of a thing that I never really thought about until people, you know, were getting skunked left and right, and I had a great day, and I thought, well, you know, I could maybe help people out, more so than just posting a video online.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
0: The face-to-face interaction is great. Well,
1: I can see, too, how there's a lot of similarities between teaching and guiding. I mean, maybe, maybe speak to that a little bit, like just kind of step back from the whole fly fishing thing, but there's got to be some, some things that are similar between the two.
0: I, I think almost they're identical in so many respects. Um, I teach, I'm fortunate enough, and I say that, you know, kindly to L.Ed and to um, some middle school teachers, but I teach mostly high school students, and so many of my students are going to enter the world in a in a few, you know, months here, uh, and that being said, you know, many of them have the same type of reactions and the same types of uh, interactions that many of my clients will, and I think what I like about it the most is that they're very responsive and receptive to a very specific type of coaching. So it almost sounds like I'm a sports coach whenever people hook into fish mm-hmm. or the, you know, the pregame ritual before we even step, before their first cast, I, I, I'm on my knee tying something on or re-rigging something else. And I'm, I'm telling them, okay, when this happens, this is what we're going to do. When this happens, I've got your back. We're going to do this. This is where our exit game strategy is. This is this, 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 and this. And, um, you know, it kind of, it feels very similar to being a really good coach it, you know, for a sports team. Um, because whenever somebody hooks them in the fish, our fish are very unique and fishery so unique that, um, if you don't do it right, you're going to get broken off in a matter of seconds, and our streams are so that when the fish gets below you a certain way, they're gone. Mm-hmm. I mean you're it, it's not very often we get into our backing by doing a certain couple of techniques that we like to use, but if that happens, we still have an exit game strategy we still have we, we work as a team, and the people I like to uh, take with me are the people who are receptive and and willing to participate in a team sport if you will you know they're the ones that i tell you to do this i got your back we're going to do this and then we'll land this fish you know so i think teaching and, and guiding are very similar and throwing coaching there as well as another you know euphemism if you will but i feel like i'm barking like a coach but in a very respectful and fun way and we do we find great success and we do really well for ourselves
1: if you're driving down was it highway 86 there how many options do you have, like, when you start hitting some of these tributaries? There's got to be... Is it overwhelming to some degree?
0: You no, know, it's actually, I think, the, the the opposite. It's, you know, people ask all the time, like, especially guys that are that are going to be traveling from the east, they're, they're traveling over, from over by, like, Salmon River and Pulaski, and, and they're like, okay, you know, I'm used to the, the shoulder-to-shoulder warrior-style fishing. I said, if you book with us, then... I can tell you that you're not going to see anybody for maybe a half mile at most in this time of year. You're going to lucky. You're going to be lucky to see anybody. So I think the options give us the ability to find more, more remote locations. And that being said too, it's, it's really nice to get photos with nobody else in the picture, you know? Yeah. Uh, we have some great scenery and some great fish, um, that, uh, will fight like, you know what? And we'll, uh, make anybody happy i don't care what kind of angler you are and you know how used to big fish you are catching 24 fish in a matter of 12 hours of fishing um especially when they're any you know all of them are over six pounds uh you can't get much better than that to be honest
1: we're chatting today with colton Orbaker out of uh twig and timber outdoors western new york here's something that i always like to throw out there and it's kind of a philosophical question to some degree if if there's something about fly fishing that you'd like to see changed in the sport is there anything that comes to mind
0: uh you know that's a tough question um i have some answers but i'm not sure if everybody sees them sees these issues the same way i do i suppose um you know i i'm somebody who works with a multitude of different people from great different facets of life that these people have gone online and they've they're getting they're new to the sport and they ask many forums and look online at what they need to have to be ready to fish and what they have to be ready for this that or the other to get into fly fishing and so many times probably more than not they are steered away because of our community in general and what I mean by that is the biggest opposition I see to people joining our sport is the false misconception that it's fairly elitist. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, that it's expensive. And that's kind of one of the things that my channel focuses on. I'm not saying that I'm outgoing and, you know, I'm out there trying to find the cheapest gear and, and trying to test it all out. But, you know, I'm trying to find a way that I can get more people, excited about the idea that they can go similar to bass fishing, pick up a kit that is X number of dollars. Maybe that's under $100 for a kit. They can go catch trout or they can go catch bass or they can go catch panfish or they can go catch steelhead. It is possible but the problem is is that the first resources, the ones that are most popular the ones with the most money behind them are the ones that also steer them away because they say that you need X gear or that you need to do X this or X that or, or that, you know, you should read this or this beforehand. I've had so many young kids come up to me and, and, and say that, you know, they wanted to get into it earlier, but there were too many books to read. And I, and I asked them what they meant by that. And they went online and someone told them that they needed to read X, Y, and Z and have X, Y, and Z before they could start. And I say to that, find good people around you. Find a good community around you. Find a good guide around you. And you don't have to have a single thing except for the willingness to learn. And I think that might be the single most, I guess, evident, in my opinion, thing that I would like to see change in fly fishing. There are a bunch of other smaller ones, but, Mm. um, you know, the more people we have in our industry, the more conservation effort we can put towards things, the more we can... Uh, affect, you know, uh, global conservation, climate conservation, and grow our sport further. I'm somebody who, rather than having five really great rod manufacturers, I'd rather have 20 of them and have them all competing so that we can have options, you know? so
1: I couldn't agree more. Like, exactly what you're saying is kind of one of the reasons I, I do this podcast, because um, it is... When someone enters the sport or the pastime, whatever you want to call it, when somebody comes to fly fishing, there's lots to take in, there's lots to learn, but it's incremental, right? So it's overwhelming if you look at the big picture, but I find that with a lot of things. You just have to focus on, like like, like TNT out of California, one of the guys I had on early, he said, let's focus on these fish. This ain't a river runs through it. Let's not overthink this. <laughs> I always come back to that because we tend to over overdo most things and, and gear is no, you know, you don't need $10,000 to get into fly fishing. You can go down and spend 50 bucks and, you know, or, or uh, even better yet, if you got a, a friend or, you know, somebody that's into it, borrow okay. one of theirs and just get yeah. out there on the water.
0: For sure. And that's, that's what, you know, my a good guide service, I hate to say that, like, and this isn't a plug, but I have so much gear in my garage ready for people it, it sickens my wife, <laughs> you know, like it's, um, I, I'm, I'm out there trying to make sure that, you know, anybody who comes to me, whether it's waiters, whether it's rod, reel, line, whether it's whatever, if they want a full kit, I don't charge extra for rentals. You know, I mean, if you, if, mm-hmm. if I'm, I have a, a boy scout troop coming sometime over the summer, they have yet to give me a date, but we're going to go, um, on a, on a hike and find some, some wild browns and smolt steelhead um, on a local stream. It's absolutely beautiful. I've actually won a couple of photo contests shooting this stream. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, but, uh, you know, none of those guys are going to be paying for, for rental gear because um, I make sure that what I have personally as a professional has a lifetime warranty, but um, apart from that, you know, it's, it's it's my goal to get those kids to be lifelong anglers because those those young ones are going to be the ones that push the conservation in my area, make my fish stronger. Well, I say my fish, obviously not my fish, but the fish in my area stronger and um, make our industry a more formidable uh, strength in the overall economy of our country and in our, in our continent, in our world, because we're all trying to do the same thing together, you know?
1: Yeah, well, you know what, that's really well said. I mean, we could talk gear, we can talk, you know, one thing I do want to talk about gear, because I think it's a little more important uh, to what you're using and how you're doing it. You just uh, kind of segued into photography, and I know that's one of your your passions. Maybe tell me a little bit about what you use when you're out on the river uh, for gear, for for capturing that moment.
0: Sure. Um, So I probably go overkill, to be honest, but that's kind of, part of why I like to do what I like to do is everybody who loves photography has what we call gas gear acquisition syndrome. It's the same thing fly fishers have, you know? Um, So, but I I do kind of limit a couple of things. I have a padded roll-up waterproof bag, dry bag that I keep a smaller camera bag and and a couple of lens pouches. So I bring two lenses with me typically. Um, so I, I use a DSLR. It's a Nikon D7100. It's nothing special. Um, it's a, a crop sensor camera, which basically means that it uh, it has a, some limitations, but some, some pros as well, some benefits. Um, my lenses, I have a wide angle lens, uh, which is a zoom. It's what I usually use to shoot um, landscape, but it also does a really good job of capturing... Like double ups with two guys hooked up on on two different fish, or capturing um, groups if they want a group photo at the end of the day, or if you want to capture more of the stream with somebody, you know, with a bent rod, that's another good one. And that's a what is that? That is a um, Tamron 17 to 55, I believe. And then I also bring two mm-hmm. primes with me. I bring a 50 mil one eight one point eight, uh, and I bring a, a an eighty five one point eight also and those are for my close ups of fish, my um individual portraits with people with fish. Um and those get those are kind of what your portrait lenses look like with a good depth of field, nice background bulk of black you know, background blur. And also the their primes are a little sharper. So if I wanted to get really good detail, um I take out my eighty five and I'm able to get really close get the i like to capture the expression of the fish um because you know one of the reasons i like to fly fish is because i feel like for a brief moment we are directly connected you know with those fish and so i want to capture that and so uh
1: Hmm. my
0: 85 is my go-to for fish my 50 for pretty much most of the angler and fish photo the kind of like the proof that you caught it type of shot. Um, And then my wide for basically everything else and for filming. I film with my wide angle too.
1: Do you do any uh, underwater shots or is that something you you, you stay away from?
0: Typically not with that camera. Um, uh, Underwater shots are cool, um, but they require a lot more gear for my use. I do have GoPro cameras and I have camcorders that I use as backups. Um, Or if I'm going for specific Mm -hmm couple of b-roll shots for small and short films i do or whatever but uh for the most part my clients aren't usually interested in underwater shots because well i'm not actually sure why i'm wondering if it's a selfish thing where they don't because they can't be seen with the fish if that's the reason why but um no I, i already carry a big bag as it is and to carry a housing on top of that also the underwater housings for DSLRs are ridiculously expensive. My whole camera kit itself is right. probably under two thousand dollars, brand new. So all the lenses and everything I have together, I'm a good bargain shopper, so I paid well under that. But <laughs> and also, I mean, there are some there are different camera techniques and things that you can use too that change depending on what you're doing. But um, that all comes down to the same concept of fly fishing. You just know your gear, know what you can do with it, what you can't do with it to make the best of both situations.
1: I'm still chuckling about what you said a few minutes ago about uh, gas gear acquisition syndrome. <laughs> I, I, I got a lot of buddies that suffer from that and I, I know, I know I got it too. Oh, That's funny.
0: I think we all do. Uh, if you're really into something, you all you have a little bit of gas for sure. <laughs>
1: that's good stuff. If you could describe Colton, your perfect day, like your dream day on the water, kind of, I always like to paint a picture, so we're sitting there driving to work and maybe wishing we were fishing, and you're doing that for a living uh, sometimes. Tell us what your perfect dream day looks like on, on the water. How does it start out? Where does What does that look like?
0: Oh, man. Well, let's see. Perfect dream day. I think mine's a little different than most. Uh, I'm not a big warm weather guy, so... I would say perfect conditions would be it's fifteen degrees Fahrenheit. Um, it is December before Christmas, so we're still in a good festive mood um, or before the holidays in general. Uh, I wake up because when you still had fish in the winter, typically I don't ask clients to be there until about eight o'clock, so you have some time for good breakfast so I'll wake up and I'll have either good breakfast at home or better yet, I will stop at our local Tim Hortons and get some food and and coffee. Um, for those of you who don't know what Tim Hortons is, you're missing out, uh, because (laughs) it's kind of like a Northern thing. Um, it's a coffee shop. So I've got my, I'm stuffing my face in the car on the way there. I've got some, um, podcast rolling like yours. I've got maybe some really good, uh, music going. It depends on the day, but you can't go wrong with maybe some, uh, For myself personally, incubus or something along those lines, where it's kind of vibey. So you get to the water, no one else is there. Uh, I am leisurely unpacking my gear. I only bring with me a camera uh, and then um, and and my rod and and kit. Um, Freshly spun, probably size ten, sexy chids, and a couple of uh, other. homegrown delicacies for our buddies under the war. And when I get there, I make my way down there. Uh, there's no ice melt because in in New York you can have rain one day, 65 degrees the next day, and then it's snowing that same day. So, um, I'm going to go with the snow day because that means that no one else is going to be there because I'm the only crazy guy flying around when it's 15 degrees or better yet (laughs) five degrees. Um, so, uh, I'm there. I'm able to fish in the morning. um, I maybe hook into a couple. Um, usually we do pretty well about, the reason I say eight o'clock is when they have them get there is because guaranteed if we don't hook up in, with anything until in the morning, we guarantee that our first hookup will be at about nine thirty in the morning. It's just the way that the sun warms the water up in these couple of spots that I like to go because they're easy access. Uh, nine rolls around. I hook a pig, um, work my way, work my, the pig over to this shallow water, uh, tail him, uh, nice for a little release. Maybe I film it. Maybe I don't. doesn't matter to me at that point because again, it's an ideal day. Right. And so, uh, after that I make my way, I'm one of those guys, if I'm fishing by myself, I'll hook one fish. That's good for me. So I'll head back up and I will, uh, work my way back into town. Um, pick up some lunch. We hang out with my kids and my, my wife. And, uh, that's pretty much a perfect day. I mean, if I can hook one fish, one good fish, um, I might get the tingles to do a couple more, but to be honest, I'm satisfied with one fish. Wow. And oh, and on the way home, I do get some really good Tim Hortons again. So I'm a kind of a caffeine addict. I feel it enhances my performance on the stream, if you will.
1: So are we are we talking a double double here? What are we talking?
0: No, no, no. I like uh, at the very most, I get a little bit of mocha syrup in it. Ah. If I'm if I'm feeling fancy that day, fancy. Right. I get a little bit of mocha syrup in it.
1: What's what's the go to <laughs> donut?
0: I'm actually not really big on donuts, but if I had to get a donut, it is just going to be the, um, I know there's the big debate because there are two types of donuts. There are the fry cakes, and then there are the gross ones. So we're going to go with fry cake, um, and it may be glazed with chocolate. That's kind of my go-to. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You know,
1: you probably <laughs> just painted the best picture I've heard in a long time. I Right now I want to go fishing, <laughs> I want a donut, and I want a coffee, but I know I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs>
0: you know, that's my job is to make what I'm saying sound interesting. Right.
1: Uh, you're very good at it. And I want to thank you for all the content you're putting out there. Cause I got to play catch up now with all your, your, your YouTube videos. And, uh, I want you to throw out, uh, where people can find you at uh, twig and timber outdoors. So if someone's looking for some merchandise. or are just looking to catch up on your vids. Uh, where do they go?
0: Sure. Sure. So, I have so many different types of media that I make. I guess here's my my parchment paper that's getting rolled out right now. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, it is at twig, the letter N, and timber, all in one word. Um, That's kind of my IG, my Instagram for everything. Um, I don't post everything there because I like to post some other stuff. On my photography website, uh, I have a Facebook page, which is Timberwood Studios, all in word, Timberwood. Studios, And then if you go to uh that's where I sell some of my prints, some of my canvases, and then some of my, uh, you can just purchase a photo to do what you'd like to with it. Um, but uh, it has not just fishing, but it has stream side stuff, gear, it has pictures of um, wildlife, it has pictures of farmland, farm life, a bunch of stuff, anything photography related from the studio. Um, if you go to YouTube, it's twig, the letter N, and then timber. Those are three separate words, uh, outdoors. Um, you can probably Google that as well. And then on Facebook, you can go to twig and timber archery and outdoors, um, and find the Facebook page. I also have a couple of different educational groups as well on there. But, um, if you go there and shoot me a, a message saying, Hey, I'm interested in learning more. Then I'll point you to those groups and I'll, I'll, get you into the group, it's kind of, I made them a little more private so that people who want to learn can go there and it's not just flooded with ads and spam, if you will. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. And then my Twitter's at and Timber as well. All one word, the letter N.
1: Awesome. Hey, thanks so much. I got a lot going on. <laughs> no, man. Thanks so much for taking the time. I'll let you get back to the family and uh, I really enjoyed this chat. Thanks. Thanks so much, Colton.
0: No, I really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: We've been chatting today with Colton Orbaker, out of Twig and Timber Outdoors, media creator, photographer, guide in western New York out of uh, the Jamestown area. Look him up. Thanks for joining us this time around.
0: The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by
1: theflycrate.com.
0: Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.